On Sunday mornings, we are endeavoring in a series that I have called Contagious Christianity. It's really about the elders' desire for Northsiders to be more intentional and more purposeful about personal evangelism. So we're going to talk a lot about evangelism in this series, but as mo- with most th- things uh, sermon-based, it's not an information problem. It's not an information problem. It's an application problem. So I can give you all of the verses about personal evangelism. And as soon as I bring up the notes here on the slide, I'll be able to share with you some of those. But the information is important as insofar as you intend on applying it. But if you're not applying it, the information will do you no good. If you have a handout and you write down meticulously all of the scriptures and all of the points, that's fine and wonderful, but that that will not save souls. We said that the primary mission of the church is to seek and to save the lost. The, the, the church is the group of people. You and I think of church as a building, and it's not. It's a people. Now, buildings are fine. There's nothing wrong with buildings. They serve a purpose, and, and, and they help us fulfill that purpose, but they are not the purpose. We are a people. The church has always been a people. But it's not just a collection of people who kind of like each other and have similar interests and things like that. It's a center of It's a group of people, just what we did just a minute ago, who are centered around Christ. And what did Christ come to do? We said, the very first sermon, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. And so the church, the group of people centered around Christ, should be concerned with the lost. Should have a heart for the lost should agonize over the lost, not organize over the lost. This is not a sermon series that's going to launch a whole bunch of new ministries and programs and things like that. That will probably <laughs> antagonize to our purpose. The goal is to, to, to speak to each person and to, to, to get you thinking personally about reaching the lost people in your world. We said last week, one way we can think of this on a family scale is about the role of fathers. Men, for those of you that are here, thank you for choosing to be here. I want to challenge you to continue to be the spiritual leader within your home. It starts with Sunday. It shouldn't have to be upon our wives. It shouldn't have to... The Lord put that on you as the head of your household, not as an authoritarian, domineering tyrant, but as the Christ-like head of the household, the spiritual leader of the household, to provide, not just physically, but spiritually, to protect, not just physically, but spiritually. Dads, husbands, I want to call you to rise to the occasion and be the men that God has called you to be because some of the first disciples you will make are your own children. They will follow, for better or for worse, your example. 
Today, we, we, we spend a little bit of time thinking about why this matters so much. It was battered and scarred. The auctioneer thought it scarcely worth his while to waste much time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. What am I a bidding, good folks? Said he, who'll start the bidding for me? A dollar, a dollar, then two, only two, two dollars, who will make it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three, but no. From the room, far back, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. And wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening its loose strings, he played a melody as pure and sweet as a caroling angel sings. When the music finished, the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, What am I bid for the old violin? And he held it up with the bow. A thousand dollars, who will make it two? Two thousand, who will make it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, going and gone, said he. The people cheered, and some of them cried, we do not quite understand what changed its worth. What came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. That old poem is one of my favorites. It's one that reminds us of an important lesson, and we're going to talk about that today. I didn't, didn't quote for you the whole poem. We'll get that back to it at the end of the message. Today, we're going to study the most valuable thing on earth. The most valuable thing on earth is the soul. It, it, it is the most, it, 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 its value exceeds gold and silver and diamonds and oil and Bitcoin and whatever else you can think of that might have value. The soul. You go on a cruise ship or you get on a plane, the captain is there, he has a roster and he will sometimes ask, how many souls are on board? You and I do not have souls. We are souls. And recognizing that is very important. Jesus said some things about the soul. The Bible says some things about the soul. Now, I know some of you are here and you're just here to get your box checked and that's fine, but... But if you care about growing in God's word, and if you care about reaching the lost, and if you care about fulfilling the mission of Christ, I want to challenge you to open your Bibles. I want to challenge you to open your hearts as we study and think about the soul. The first is that every soul was God's first. The book of Genesis, the very first book in the good book, tells us in the creation account of this, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. If you're in the Pew Bible, if you don't have a Bible of your own, there are Bibles in front of you. We've made every effort to give you the tools to know God better. If you're looking at the Pew Bible, you're going to turn to page 2, if you don't know where Genesis 1, 26 is. There it reads, Then God said, Let us 
Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let us, the first indication we have of the Trinity, the, the, the plurality of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let us do something what? Different here. This is different than all of the other creation. Let us make man in our image, the imagio Dei, in the image of deity. Now, now what's, what does that mean? Because, because the, obviously we're not God, so God wasn't saying that. We're not on level with God. God, Jesus said in John chapter 4 that God is spirit. So that it doesn't mean, because Adam and Eve were there, they were just you know, creatures of the dirt. God doesn't have skin color and eye color and height and weight. No. What does the image of God mean? It means the spiritual element of mankind. The, uh, the, uh, the eternal sense of you and I. The, the part that, that exceeds the body that you and I inhabit for a time. The part of you that will never cease. The eternal nature of you and I. If you care to turn forward and do a little digging into some of some, some of the harder parts of the Bible, you go to the prophet Ezekiel. This is page 905 in the Pew Bible. The prophet Ezekiel says this, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. All souls are mine. When Caleb and Callie Greenwood gave birth to two healthy baby twin boys. Those boys, you know, for sure the pride of their parents and grandparents. But those souls belong to God. He created them. He knit them together. And though they're, they're twins, they're very different. God knows them down to the molecular level, but also down to the spiritual level. All souls are mine. and See, you and I as human beings are different than all of the rest of created order. And that we, we are God-breathed beings knit together in the womb of our mother with not certainly, uh, that, with certainly the help from the mother. But, but Psalm 139 says this, Psalmist David writes in verses 13 and 14, page 667. If you're trying to follow along, page Psalm 139, 13 and 14. For you, who's, who's you? Is this, is this dad? Is this mom? No, this is God. For you, you formed my inward parts. Perhaps talking about the, 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 the internal, the organs, but, but perhaps also the inward part, the heart, the soul. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Note this, verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. 
In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet were none of them. I'm sorry that your generation must grow up in an age of constant comparison. You live in a filtered world. And and your generation, more than our generation, learns to speak the language of the filter. And so you are on Snapchat or Instagram or TikTok or whatever the new thing is now. And you look at all the perfection that's out there. And somewhere inside here, maybe inside here, you say, I I don't measure up to that. And you scroll and you think, I I could never measure up to her beauty or to his muscles. I, I I could never match up to what the filter shows me and I just want to remind you that it's all, it's all a lie. It's all a mirage. Because God made you and you and you and you and you. He knit you together. And can I tell you the truth? God don't make no junk. You are valuable. You are worth something. But it doesn't have anything to do with you. I don't want you to get too narcissistic here, okay? You're valuable and you matter, but there's a reason greater than you that you're valuable and that you matter. So when you're compared, attempted to compare yourself with everyone else, when you're told again and again by the world and by the enemy that you don't measure up and never will, I want you to remind yourself you were knit together in your mother's womb by someone far greater than your mother or father who knows you and knows you well all the way down to here. And that's what makes you matter. And I hope your generation can carry that message to your generation. Because the lie is prevalent out there. And so your, your generation is filled with anxiety because you never measure up. Fear, because you're always missing out. And I don't want you to buy into the lie. I want you to hear that God formed you and made you and loves you deeply. And that you're worth very much because you're God's. Because He formed you. Now that's just a lesson for teenagers. All of the rest of you I know don't struggle with those issues. So you could ignore that. God is the God of life. He's the author of life on earth. He's the author of life eternal. Jesus came to give us life. John 10.10 I have come that they might have life. And life abundant. He was there, don't you know? He was there when life was created. When Adam moved from just a, a nice hunk of clay to a living, breathing, Being, that's the God that we serve. You and I were created on purpose, for a purpose, for an eternal purpose, by an eternal creator. 
May we not forget that that worth does not come from us. It comes because of who made us, who knit us together, who formed us in the inward way, in the unformed substance. You all are giving me blank stares. It's time for an illustration. So let me give you an example. I have in my kitchen a piece of lumber that wouldn't mean much to you, but it means a great deal to me. Here's a picture of it. I was actually going to bring it, uh, but with the prices of lumber such as they are, I decided to just keep this at home in my safe. What you see there is a, what's called a marquetry project. Uh, my grandfather made this. He was quite good at this. The one that you see is not good at all. And I don't say that to insult my grandfather. He would have said the same thing. He told me that. It was his very first marquetry project. And, and if you don't understand how all that works, basically you're taking any type of picture and you're cutting it out and you're getting different pieces of different colors of veneer wood and you're putting it together like a puzzle. Now that sounds easy to do. It's very challenging. It's very difficult. But this was the very first one that grandfather did. And the reason that he had did the cup of coffee because my grandfather loved coffee. Now as I, I look at that, I see some imperfections. Not all the joints fit perfectly together. There's a few gaps that shouldn't be there. Oh, it's, it's far beyond what I could do. But I know compared to what he would later advance to do that this wasn't his best work. But it's his most valuable. It's one of the more valuable things in my home. Do you know why? Not because of what it is, but because of who made it. So my grandfather passed in this world 15 years ago. That reminds me of him. When I see that, I can, I can remember wrinkled fingers pushing wood along, along the, the, the saw. I can remember a, a gentle hand holding a sander and sanding things again and again. I can remember arms covered in sawdust all the way up to the shoulders. I remember the Creator because of the creation. You and I are like similar, except on a much more eternal scale. You, you and I, we, we have a few wrinkles. You and I have, have a few warts. You and I have a few, a few things we're not very proud of. And, and, yet, and yet, you and I reflect God's glory, not because of who we are, but because at some point, the creator of all creation decided that the creation needed one of you, and he knit You together for a reason, for a time, for a purpose. And in spite of your imperfections, the Creator, by glory, by by, by the simple truth of its own existence, gives glory to a Creator. A reminder of that our worth is not because of who we are, but because of who created us. You see, because He made us, every soul has great worth. Matthew chapter 16, the master, Jesus, said, Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, I'm on page 1054, if you're following along, Matthew 16, 26. Whoever would save his life 
will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then Jesus asks a rhetorical question. He says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus says, there is nothing more valuable than the soul. There is nothing you'll ever have in this world that is of greater value than your soul within you. And Jesus says you can give the whole world, all of its wealth, everything that it offers in exchange for your soul and you have made a poor trade. It's the sin of Esau. Esau, one of the lesser known characters within God's word, probably best known for his foolish choice. And his foolish choice was this. You see, Esau was the firstborn. And with firstborn, under that system, the firstborn had a right to all of the blessings, nearly half the inheritance. The birthright, the name right, the family lineage went through the firstborn. And all my firstborns in here say, Amen. Esau had the right to the blessing. But the scripture tells us that Esau did something foolish. And you want to know what it was? He traded his blessing for something momentary. In fact, so momentary, it was a single meal, a bowl of stew. The New American Standard says a bowl of that red stuff. He traded his birthright and his blessing to his brother Jacob for a momentary meal. Esau made a poor choice. The Hebrew writer later says, do not be godless like Esau who gave up his birthright for a single meal. Do you, you think about it? When we talk about the patriarchs, we talk about Abraham and Isaac. And it should have been Esau. But because he gave up eternal treasure for temporary meals... A single meal. He made a foolish choice. That's what sin is. It's giving up what's eternal for what is temporary. It's trading the two. And Jesus says when it comes to our soul, if you give up what's eternal in exchange for what's temporary, you've made a foolish choice. What can a man give in exchange for his soul? The soul has great worth. And there's nothing we can give in exchange for it. And you should protect it. And you should value it. You should nourish it. You should bring it in relationship with God through Christ. Each and every day. Because what you have is precious. And it's God made. Jesus put it like this. Turn back just 10 chapters to Matthew chapter 6. He says, Verse 
Matthew six nineteen and 20. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Souls outlast all other treasure. Someday everything in this world will be burned up in a very impressive show of global warming. I mean, it will all be melted like that. And there is only one thing that Jesus says leaves this world. And it's their soul. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So my first message is to you is make sure your soul is right with God. You better make sure of that first and foremost. If you have a valuable treasure, what do you do with it? Well, you better protect it. You, you better put it in a place where it's untouchable. You, you better put it, hold on to it. You better do all that you can because of its great value, someone might try to steal it. I believe it was C.S. Lewis that said, consider what great worth a soul must have that both heaven and hell fight so furiously for it. Now the second thing is this. Is your heart on your heavenly treasure? Or your earthly treasure? Put it quite directly. How many souls have you led to Jesus? How's your heavenly portfolio looking? If you give more attention to your earthly portfolio, which is vanishing, (laughs) which is being uh, whittled away by inflation, and you pay attention to that Every month, every week, every day. And you give no thought to how many souls you've led to Jesus Christ. You've made a bad trade. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroy. Where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be as well. May your heart be on your heavenly portfolio. May you ask yourself this morning, is my soul ready to meet the maker? Is my soul protected in the lifeboat of Christ? And if it is, then the second question is, how am I building my heavenly portfolio? How many people am I getting in the lifeboat with me? How many people am I bringing to Christ? Which leads us to our third point, and that is this. Every soul can be saved. Luke chapter 15 describes the story of a a great party going on in heaven. Saved people have a hard time imagining sometimes that God has parties That there are parties in heaven. Oh, they're not ungodly parties. But you better believe that all the angels rejoice. Whenever this happens. Luke chapter 15 verse 7. I tell you, 
there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Heaven is more concerned with the number of the repentant than the number of the stagnant. Heaven is more concerned with people who are turning to Christ instead of people who are just hanging out with Christ. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And he was more concerned and there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one who repents than 99 who do not. It's the old song. It was a camp song, but it's a good one. I say to you, I say to you, there'll be joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Then ninety-nine, ninety-nine righteous persons who need no penitence. May we seek souls, because every soul can be saved. Acts chapter 2 says, as Peter finished up his sermon, he says, those who received his word were baptized, and then were added that day, About 3,000 souls. I know there are lots of people concerned with the, the count. How many people were here Sunday morning? How many people here Sunday night? How many people here Wednesday night? Sort of interesting. God's not greatly concerned with that. A better question is, how many souls have we brought to Jesus? That's the number he's concerned with. How many souls have we brought to repentance? That's the number he's concerned with. Because every sinner has a soul, and every soul is of great worth because it's made by God. And there is great rejoicing in heaven over one or three thousand and one. So let's get practical. First, we said that, kind of started this idea that there is plenty of room in the boat. The vessel of salvation. And that's Christ, by the way. That's not bringing people to church. That's bringing people to Christ. But, but what this picture does, I hope you understand, is it takes tremendous pressure off of you. Because too many people, when we talk about seeking souls, think that they have to be the Savior. Think that they have to have all the answers. Think that they have to get it all perfect. And if that's the case, no one's bringing anyone to Jesus. Thank God we are not the Savior. We are the guide. We are the helper. We are the coach. Not leading them to us, leading them to Christ. And so this takes the pressure off of us. Proverbs 11.30, which we said, talked about last week, says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. When you're seeking souls, you're seeking what God values most. You and I are part of the divine process of leading souls to Christ and it's, remember, what we said last week, discipleship is instruction over time. 
it's rarely the one and done kind of picture. Okay? It doesn't, I mean, there are a few exceptions where a person just read a scripture and, you know, what prevents me from being baptized? Let's do it. Okay, there, there are cases like that, but more often than not, you and I are involved with the process of planting and watering more than we are involved in reaping. So let's get practical. We said last week, we first want you to make a list of the lost. I don't know if you did that or not. If you didn't make a list, the rest of this sermon series is going to be pretty useless to you. If you don't have the heart to write a name down of a soul that needs to know Christ, ugh, I don't know what else I'm going to tell you. It's not about, I can't give you more information. I can't even give you more inspiration until you are ready to put into application. Second is, pray for the lost. I hope you've been praying for the lost people on your list. Okay? The third people... The third is to love the lost, to love the people that God loves. Now, I'm going to give you an additional step this week. I want you to engage the lost. Uh, This is, um, you can do this in a number of ways. Social media is the easy one to do because you're connected to people that you graduated from high school with. You're connected to people that you went to college with. You're connected to people that were in your wedding. You're connected to people that used to be neighbors of yours. And so on. You're connected to those people. You're connected to them. Maybe you're connected to them for a reason. And so if you've written their name down and you've been praying over them, then I want you to, to engage the lost. First is, I want you to, to be a little bold and to show Jesus. I want you to... Here, here's a post you can put. Here's why I love Jesus. Here's what Jesus has done for me. Here's how Jesus has changed my life. What? Isn't that a little radical? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You're a Christian? I see all of your posts on Facebook for better or for worse. You post about everything. Everything. Your kids' ball games and, and piano recitals and, 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 and promotions at work and, and struggles going on in your life and things that you ate for dinner. And you don't want to bring Jesus into that story? In arguably one of the simplest, most effective things you could do to share what Jesus has done for you? Friend, we've got to be a little more bold. God's given us this tool to reach the world with the hope that we have. So let me challenge you to do that. This week, I don't care if it's today or not, but make a post and share why you love Jesus. I did not ask you to share what a good sermon Toby preached. I did not ask you to share why you love Northside Church of Christ. I didn't ask you to share that. I want you to show the world that you're connected with why you love Jesus and why he loves you. And the difference, the difference that he's made in your life. May you share that at least once this week. 
Now you got to make sure <laughs> if you put that out there, so, oh man, then I can't be posting other stuff. Yeah, that's probably the point. <laughs> and I'm a preacher. I'm on know your Bible. I got to think about what I put on social media. I got to think about that. Well, Paul says you all are ambassadors for Christ. So may we like, may we comment, may we interact, may we ask questions of lost people. May we show interest in their lives. When someone shares something and you say, I love Jesus because he's given me great hope and great peace in this world. And someone says, hey, I wish I had that. You jump into messenger and you say, hey, I'd be glad to share it with you. You can have that. We got to share. We got to show Jesus. All right. I'm way out of time. I was going to give you more application, but I know there are many people focused on the clock. So let's end by closing in prayer. Father God, forgive us. Forgive us for, for the times when we have freely partaken of your grace and your mercy and your love through Jesus and stingily held it all to ourselves saying nothing about the free meal. Father, may we just be blind men and women Telling other blind men and women where to find sight. May we be hungry beggars. Telling other hungry beggars where to find bread. Father, I pray your spirit would work in our hearts. Not just to convict us over what we haven't done. But to give us the courage and the boldness to share what Jesus has done. And the difference that he's made and the hope that we have, and the peace that we have gained because of Him. Father, give us just that amount of courage this week. And Father, lead us to those who are seeking Christ. And let us share the hope that we have, because He's our hope, He's our everything, He's our all. We pray this in His name. Amen. This morning, if you have a spiritual need, need to put on Christ in baptism, or if you have some other need of the congregation, we have some shepherds that will be at the back. You can simply respond, go to the back, they'll pray with you, they'll help you be baptized, whatever you need to do. Whatever your need might be, uh, won't you respond if you need to as we sing this song.